Y'all heard of trust falls, right? If you've ever, so if you've been in a youth group in the last 20 years, you've heard of trust falls. I know that excludes a couple of you. Um, trust falls are exactly what they sound like. Uh, you you get like, for instance, you'd get on this stage and you get five, six, probably six people back here, and, and they would have to hold their hands just right. You'd tell them how to do it, and then you'd you'd lean back and you'd you'd fall. No, no, we're not going to do it this morning. Um, we're we're gonna we're gonna not do it. Uh, but that's what a trust fall is. Well, they don't always go as planned. Yeah, just to increase your pain, it is just going to repeat. Um, I, I could tell you everything they did wrong. They moved their arms back toward her head. They should have caught her at her back, and it would have worked. And you need more than two people when you do a trust fall. So, you know, it, it, they don't always work out. Sometimes it's, it's the, the people catching that make the mistake. Sometimes it's the person falling make the mistake. Yeah, I love the look on the face of the girl who's supposed to catch. She, like, she's just really, you dummy. I mean, that, you know that's what's going through her mind. Um, in, in the first one, we have uh, a, a misplaced trust, right? Uh, in, in that one, she shouldn't have trusted those guys to catch her. She misplaced that trust. The second one, we have trust that was outside the plan. She trusted her to catch her. She just didn't go the right direction to get caught. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about trusting God. We're going to talk about in our prayers how we need to trust God. Last week, it was honor God. This week, it's trust God. See, we can trust God not just with the... That wasn't supposed to be in there. Not just with the small things, but with the grand scheme. And our plans need to reflect, or rather our prayers, need to reflect that trust. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. And we're going to look at the next two sentences. It's really, we could have split this up into, into two messages, but uh, I think we're okay doing it in one because they kind of go together. We're still in that section of, of the, the model prayer that's all about God, not about us. We prayed last week, our Father who's in heaven, make your, uh, hallow your name is holy. We're talking to God. We're talking to God, uh, about God in some cases. This week in Matthew 6, 10, 10, where your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is, as it is in heaven. Think in your mind right now, how have we said that prayer? Anytime you've said it out loud in a group, this phrase, how do we say it? Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. We leave those gaps. Well, that's, that's not how it was intended. It's your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think we, in our minds, we've, we've separated those two somehow. Your kingdom come, your will be done, make heaven, uh, make earth like heaven. Well, we're, we're going to join those back together like they should be this morning because there's no comma or anything there. But we're going to just go through it again like we did last week. Your kingdom come. 
Now, we pray that prayer, we, we say that, and, and here's the problem that I have with us just repeating a prayer over and over and not thinking about what we're praying. And we do that when we sing. Uh, we do that when we pray. Uh, we, we, we do it a lot in church because we get used to what we've done and we just do it. And it loses all meaning and all effect on our lives. Your kingdom come. What are we praying? Well, I think we need to see the opposite of that first. If we're praying for God's kingdom to come, that implies God's kingdom has not yet come, right? Well, that's true. We live in Satan's kingdom at this time. This is Satan's realm. He's not cast into hell. That's, that's, that's what Bugs Bunny taught us, right? That right now the devil lives in hell with the flames and the demons and all that. But currently there, there is no hell in that sense where Satan has been cast to. He has been cast down, but that down we can pretty, be pretty sure was to earth. There is no hell where he lives now. He lives among us. Uh, Job talks about it. Uh, John 12, 31, uh, John 14, 30. And I'll put these verses on the, uh, these passages on the screen so you can see them in just a second. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Ephesians 2, 2, Job chapter 2. Tell us that, that we live in Satan's realm now. He is the prince of the air. He is the, 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 the ruler of this age. He goes in to see God in Job chapter 2, and God says, where have you been? He said, I've just been wandering around earth, because that's his. Now, he is fully controlled by God, or at least fully under God's control. He is the one who decides, or God is the one, rather, who decides what Satan can and can't do. He is still completely under God's sovereignty. Now, I don't go all the way to say that everything the devil does, God makes him do it, there, there would be those that would say that. You know, devil, you ask the devil, why'd you do it? Well, God made me. You know, and I don't, I, don't, I don't hold to that. But he is still only allowed, we can see in Job chapter 2, he is still only allowed to do those things that God allows him to do. But this is his realm, and there are those passages for you. So we pray, God, your kingdom come because it's not here yet. Now, I've talked about this before, too. There's this element of, and we use the phrase, already, not yet. There are a lot of things that way. Uh, for example, our salvation. We are already saved. We are saved. We are being saved. And we will be saved. We were saved at our justification when we got saved. We are being saved because we're being sanctified. Paul talks about that a lot how we are working out our salvation. But we will be ultimately saved when we're glorified. We're already saved, but we're not yet saved. We see the same thing when we talk about the kingdom. The kingdom is already here, but it's not here yet. Well, what do I mean? When Jesus came, the kingdom came with him. They, they asked him, we, well, we talked about it in the first part of Matthew. Uh, Matthew chapter... Uh, three, I believe. Let me, let me find it. Uh, he goes around, he starts preaching, and tells them, for the kingdom of God is near. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. Well, what's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that I am here. 
The, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is with me, Jesus says. Here we go. I finally found it. It's chapter 4, verse 17. I'm sorry, my contacts have turned and everything is blurry, so I'm having trouble seeing what I'm, what I'm supposed to be reading. Uh, chapter 4, verse 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Well, what had changed between the time of, well, Adam and the time of Jesus preaching that message? Jesus had come. So the kingdom has come. So the kingdom is here. The kingdom is near. The kingdom came with Jesus. And yet, Jesus tells us, pray for the kingdom to come. And then we could say, well, very possibly what he is, is telling us to pray here is kind of to thank God for uh, the, the kingdom that has come. Well, no. It's not what he's doing. Uh, we also see that when Jesus lives in our hearts, if the kingdom has come near because of Jesus' presence physical presence. Well, Jesus is king. The kingdom rules in us, and, and the Bible tells us that let Jesus rule in you. If, if Jesus brought the kingdom, there, there's a kingdom rule in our hearts, right? There's supposed to be, and we're supposed to respond to, to our, uh, our uh, 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 servitude, our, our ownership by God with obedience. He rules. We are part of His kingdom, and then finally, like I said, the kingdom isn't here yet. So that's what he's talking about when, when he talks about the kingdom. We live in Satan's kingdom. God's kingdom isn't here yet. It came with Jesus. It rules in us, but yet it's not here. So what does he mean when he says, pray, your kingdom come? There are really three options we have here. The first one is the ethical option. Jesus is telling us to pray that the kingdom would rule in our hearts. And it makes a lot of sense. That's, that's a good way to look at it. It's basically a prayer here for obedience. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom rule in my life. Lord, make me realize my, my obedience to you, the fact that you are the master, I am the slave, you are in charge, I am not. Your kingdom come in my life and rule me. Uh, this would be a prayer, maybe we, we pray it for ourselves, but remember this was a communal prayer. Our Father in heaven, the, the, the pronouns are always plural when talking about the, the prayer and not the one to whom they are praying. So this is a prayer for all of us, that Christians on earth would do what God wants them to do. Your kingdom come on earth. Your rule, we do what you want us to do on earth. That's the first option, ethical option. The second option is the evangelistic option. That we would spread salvation. When we're praying to God, your kingdom come, what we're saying is, God, expand your rule. Not just rule in our hearts, but expand your rule. Spread it. Use, it, it, it is a, a missionary prayer, then, in this case. It is praying that God, and, and we do pray this, right? We pray, God, spread your kingdom. God, may your kingdom rule in, in Nixon through the lives of people who will come to know you as Savior. Grow your kingdom, God, through your church by the witness of your church. Wonderful prayer to pray. Absolutely something we should be praying. Those are the first two options. But based on the discussions earlier, 
based on the Beatitudes and how Jesus has made it clear that most of the Beatitudes, though we strive for them now, won't be fully fulfilled until we are glorified, until we are finally saved. It's pretty clear here that Jesus' prayer, his, his example here, his model, is that we are to pray an eschatological prayer. There is your seminary word for the day, eschatological. Uh, this is end times things. Uh, the eschaton is the, the final fulfillment. This is when Jesus comes back. So it's an eschatological prayer. It's for Jesus's return. Jesus wants us to pray that Jesus will come back. Well, why? It, well, like I said, it, it, it fits the theme of uh, the, the sermon of, on the mount. It, it fits the, the whole, uh, from the beginning to the end, this is all about us preparing ourselves for the end. And he tells us, pray for that. Pray for, the, 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 for my return. Pray for the fulfillment of those beatitudes. Pray that you will fully hunger and thirst for righteousness and finally be fed. Pray that for, for uh, mercy and know that you will finally receive the mercy that you should get as a Christian. Pray for the kingdom to come and you will know the, the, the peace and the comfort that comes after persecution. Pray for the kingdom. Pray for my return, Jesus says. So it, it, it fits the sermon. It's a prayer for God's final reign. It's a prayer that says we are looking for something better than we have now. I read uh, briefly uh, about a... Uh, I, I could call him a preacher. I would hesitate to do that. Um, I don't agree with him on a lot of things theologically, and, and I don't even agree with what, what I read about him. His name is Brian McLaren. Uh, you, you may not know the name. You, you probably don't. You don't have reason to unless you read a lot of these things that I do. He's on the West Coast. Uh, that tells you a lot right there, I know. Um, but he's, he's one of these, that for a few years, Gen X, my generation, um, had the emergent church. That was what it was called. Uh, liberal theologically, um, a couple of good points about it, but they just think they really left the Bible behind on a lot of issues. Well, one of the things he's doing right now, because the emergent church has kind of gone by the wayside. Liberal churches generally don't last. It, it, it just, they're, they're, there's no meat to live on. But what he's doing now is he's rewriting old uh, Christian songs, old hymns. And, and one of them was, uh, I'm not going to remember what he renamed it, but he rewrote I'll Fly Away, and he basically made it I'll Help Somebody or something like that. And his, his purpose I'll, 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 I'll give him this. His purpose was, was noble. We, we, he's taken these songs that say, oh, I'm, all, I'm ready to get out of here, and rewriting them to say, I, I'm ready to help somebody else get out of here too. Now, unfortunately, probably what he was writing wasn't about helping someone uh, with the gospel. It would be, he's very much social justice-minded, which isn't always bad, but it is if it takes the place of the gospel. 
We cannot, and, and the phrase has been used, and I don't really like the phrase because I, I, it doesn't work. The phrase has been used, we can be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. In a sense, we, do, we are always heavenly minded. Jesus tells us to pray for his, uh, his return, pray for God's final reign, pray for this future kingdom. But our goal with that future kingdom, our goal for, for praying Jesus to come back should always, by necessity, take us back to the evangelical and the ethical potential or possibility of this prayer. What do you mean by that, Michael? You lost me when you told me about that guy on the West, West Coast. If I am praying for, for Jesus' return, Jesus come back, it should break my heart two different ways when I pray that prayer. One, that I am very likely, spiritually, not ready for him to come back. Am I saved so that I go to heaven? Yes. But, do I want him to catch me doing some of the things that I do? No. So, the prayer of Jesus, your king, God, your kingdom come, send Jesus back, should make me ethical. It should make me look at my life, examine my life. Am I in a place in my life where I want Jesus to come back? I know he can see me all the time. Y'all, don't, don't hit me with that. You know what I'm talking about. Do I want him to come back right now? No. I, I've got, I, I, would, I want to better myself. It should also lead us to the evangelistic prayer, the, the, the missionary prayer. Jesus, I want you to come back, but it should break our hearts that there are billions of people that if Jesus came back right now would be condemned to an eternity in hell, a Christless hell away from God and Jesus. So, as I pray, Jesus, your kingdom come, it should immediately make me think, he could come any time. I've got to do something about the people that don't know him. So that's why being heavenly minded is an extreme earthly good. Because if I'm thinking about Jesus coming back, I should be thinking about, am I ready? And are my friends and family ready? So as we pray that prayer, it is definitely looking forward to his return, but it should turn our hearts to ourselves and to others who need Jesus. Your kingdom come, he says. Then he says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, now I'm going to break it up so we can talk about it. First, your will be done. This is God's predetermined plan. You know God has a plan, right? You, you know this is not just all willy-nilly and, you know, something happens and, and God's up there. Well, just dad gum. I didn't see that coming. No, it, it is all part of his plan. There's this very, very mind-boggling tension between God controls everything and we have free will. God has it all under control, but we get to make choices. Thing is, our choices don't surprise God. God can take our choices and do with them as he pleases and what he wants. So God has this, this, this will. God has this predetermined plan. And so we pray, your kingdom come. You come back. 
Make me more ethical because that can, will happen. Make me more evangelistic because that will happen. And in life, in my life, your will be done. In my church, your will be done. In my country, your will be done. In, in my world, your will be done. This is not just our, our moral responsibilities. That's kind of how we take it, right? When we pray it, I know growing up I did, I would think, your will be done. Well, I'm supposed to do what God tells me to. And that's true, but that goes back to that ethical part of your, your kingdom come, right? But we don't bank out or, or, or uh, uh, hang out on that. We don't stay there because what we're praying is not that I would just do what God tells me to, but God, your plan for eternity is perfect. Your plan for eternity is the kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. However you see your kingdom coming, however you have planned that, whatever steps may have to occur in order for that to happen, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is us praying to God that his plan and his timing are perfect. God, I don't understand why certain things happen the way they do. I don't understand why some people die and some people, well, we all die, but I don't know why some people die at a young age, and some people die at an old age. I don't know why terrorist attacks happen. I don't know why wars happen. I don't know why accidents happen. I don't, I don't know what the, why all these things happen. But God, I am telling you, your will be done. Your timing, your plans are perfect, and mine are not. I, I think if we all looked, we would admit that there are some things in our lives that just did not go the way we would have preferred them go. Am I, am I way off base here? I don't think I am. I'm pretty sure there are things that, that we look at and we say, I would have preferred X to happen instead of Y. But it didn't happen that way. Why? Because God's ways are not our ways. God's plans are not our, our plans. And if we can pray this prayer, your will be done. If we can stop and say, you are bigger and smarter and better at this stuff than I am, then we can take those unexpected, at least on our part, occurrences and say, God, I trust you. You are bigger than this. You're, you are better than anything I could have, had, have planned. So God, I trust you and I give it to you. This is us conforming ourselves to God's will. How many of our prayers, and, and, and we, you know, we do this a lot, and, and I've, I think I've made this statement a couple of times, and we should pray for people's health. We do it every Sunday morning. Hopefully you do it more often than that. And we should do those things. But we pray so much well, the phrase that's used is, we pray more to keep sick Christians out of heaven than we do to keep lost people out of hell. Did you hear what I said? We pray more to keep sick Christians out of heaven than we do to keep lost people out of hell. And we'll, we'll look at that and we'll say, well, it just can't be God's will for this person to die yet. Well, it may or may not be. But you know what we do know? God said, or, or, or Peter writes and tells us, that it is not God's will that anyone should perish. 
We don't know what his will is for this sick person. But we know that if God had his way, if God forced people to choose him, which he doesn't, nobody would die and go to hell because it's not his will. So while we can pray, Lord, we don't want this person to suffer, because really that's what we're praying, right? Stop the suffering. Well, his will may be to stop the suffering eternally or for just a little while. But over here, we need to be praying for the lost because it is not God's will for them to suffer for eternity. It is their choice, and we need to pray that that will not happen. But that's not going to just depend on God striking with a bolt of lightning and suddenly they're saved. It is going to depend on the church, the people who are praying, your kingdom come and my part in that happening be done. Your will be done in this person's life that they would be saved. So as we pray, it's a reminder that we are conforming to His will, conforming to His plan that that person be saved. And then the, the, the opposite of that is that we are negating our will for God's. We're saying my plans might be for this person to be whole and, and well, but that might not be your plan. Or not even that, my plan might be for this particular set of uh, future actions to occur in my life, but that might not be your plan, God. We are subjugating our will to God's in all things. Oh, we're real good on a couple of things, right? I mean, we will, we, we will pray for this sick person. If we're, if we're good and holy that day, we'll pray that that sick person gets well, but God, we trust you with the outcome. But, but then when it's, when it's our future, our personal future, God, I know your will for my life is, is for me to be rich. Me to have a better job. And, and if, 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 if I don't get that, then, that wasn't, then, 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 then what are you doing, God? I mean, that's, that's, that's what we do. We're, we're okay with some things, but other things we're like, no, it, that, that, this is what you should be doing. Because, because I said so. When in fact... Your will be done, not mine. And then just in case we weren't clear on what Jesus meant, he, he adds, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many of y'all uh, have been to heaven in the last couple of weeks? Raise your, raise your hand. Me either. So I don't know exactly what's going on there right now. Um... Me never have I been there, and if, if you know, if you were here October uh, a year ago or so when I preached on death, you know that I don't think anybody's been to heaven and come back except Jesus. So, uh, what do we know about what goes on in heaven right now? Well, we get a glimpse. Job tells us some things. You know, Satan has to go to the throne room and and basically gets permission. Though, you know, we we've kind of put in our head that Satan went to the throne room and and said, uh, hey, give me an opportunity to mess, up, mess with Job a little bit. That's not how it worked. This is totally not in my message, but just, just so you know, what happened was Satan went to the throne room kind of to check in because he's a subordinate creature, and apparently he has to at times. He went to the throne room, and God says, where you been, boy? That's not a very, it's not an affectionate boy, like, you know, if I see my, where you been, boy? It's not that kind of, it's like, where you been, boy? And, and, and Satan says, I've been wandering around. And, and, G, and God says, have you, have you noticed my man Job down there? 
says, yeah, he's all, all about you and, and, and nothing I could do to could mess with that because you've got your hand on him. You won't let me mess with him. And God says, tell you what, what if I take my hand off? You got free reign, you just can't kill him. He said, he'd turn on you in a heartbeat, old man. Basically what Satan said, because God's old, he's eternal. It's not really offensive. And God says, go ahead, give it a shot. So that, that went on, but, but look at how Jesus had to, uh, Jesus, pardon me. Satan had to ask for permission to do anything. God had to allow him to do it. So we know that right now, God exercises authority in heaven. We read the Gospels, we see the miracles, we see Jesus walking on water, we see uh, him calming storms, we see him bringing the dead back to life, we see him curing diseases, we see him multiplying uh, meals, we see him changing water into wine, we see all these things. So we see that Jesus' authority, and he says, my authority comes from God, we see that God's authority is not just in heaven, but over the earth too. So he rules it all. I mean, it's all under his control. Should he decide to do something, he can. We pray on earth as it is in heaven because what we want is for his authority to be exercised as clearly here as it is in heaven. See, in heaven, there's no back talk. Right? I mean, let's be honest. This is a frightening prayer. And maybe you've never thought about it, and well, and that's why I'm preaching through it. Maybe you've never thought about what we are praying when we say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because what goes on in heaven? Do you want God's full authority on earth right now? Like, He is in control of everything. Do you want that? It's, it's a rhetorical question. I'm not looking for an answer here. Uh, but is, is that really what you want? Because that's what you're praying. God, full authority on earth. Well, what would that look like? Well, they, they snap too in heaven. We get some glimpses in Revelation of what's going on. Constant worship. I know this sounds good to us, and, and, and one day we will experience this, but your sinful side right now, talk to it. Does, it. does it really want God's full authority? Because what happens in heaven is there's immediate punishment of rebellion. When was the last time you rebelled and got immediate punishment from God for it? Yeah, see, because you kind of like that grace thing. Grace is nice. We read about the fall of Satan. We don't see that he rebelled and came back and said, my bad. You know, I won't do it again. And he rebelled another time. And God said, look, you know, three strikes and you're out, buddy. And say, oh, I'm not, not again. One more time. And he did and he got kicked out. No, no, no. He rebelled. He is gone. Cast down. Saw, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Uh, it, we, we sometimes think that means uh, he, when the disciples were out casting out demons and that kind of thing, that he was talking about their power. But probably what he was talking about was, look, dude, I was there when Satan got thrown down. Thrown out for rebelling once, one time. Do we want that? Do we want immediate punishment of rebellion? Do we want God's full majesty displayed? Go back and read about uh, uh, Moses when he said, I, I want to see your glory, God. And God just laughs at him. 
he's old, he laughs that way. (laughs) Really, Moses, you want to see my glory? Me, God, me, ruler of heavens and earth, made everything outside of time. I get to do it all. You're nothing. I'm everything. You want to see my glory? Okay, okay, Moses. All right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to shove you into the middle of a mountain. I'm going I'm to squeeze you into the crack here. You stand right there. You can see out like that. You ever been to those forts or uh, 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 the, the Presidio down in uh, Doliad? Thank you. Um, you. You go into those things, and they've got those little slits. And, and, and you put the, your rifle through there, and it's got to be, you know, good size, but you get to turn, you, you, you cover this whole space, and, 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 and they, they can't shoot in there. It's even, even smaller if you go to, like, Europe when they had bows and arrows, and, and, and that's what they were shooting for, through. It has n- not much to do with what I'm talking about, except I just thought of it. But those small slits, that's what they could see, what, what Abraham could see through, or rather Moses could see through. That's what I'm going let to you, let you see through. Moses, cleft of the rock is what it says in in the Bible. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk by that crack in the rock that you're shoved into and you can see through. I'm going to walk by it. But as I walk by, I'm going to cover it up. And then right as I get past it, I'm going to move my hand. And you're going to see like the, the, the corner of my robe pass by. You're just going to catch a, a glimpse of me, a fleeting glimpse of me of my glory. And what happened? His face glowed, his hair turned white, to the point that when he came down off the mountain, the children of Israel had to beg him, cover your face, because we cannot stand to look at you, because you have been with God. And in heaven, God's glory is revealed. His full majesty is revealed. You want that on earth? No one can look at the face of God and not die, he tells us. And yet when we pray, your will on earth as it is in heaven, we're asking him to do everything on earth that he does in heaven. And while as described, that's a frightening prayer, for Christians, that's a beautiful prayer. That heaven could be on earth, that we could experience it, we get to someday. Someday it will work out that way. But right now, we need to be careful what we pray for. Don't not pray it because Jesus told us to. But as you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your perfect plan, your perfect timing, as wonderful as you are in heaven, God, bring every bit of that to us today. But that requires, on our part, a transformation, a conformity, a work in our lives. See, see, never do we pray and God doesn't do some work in us. And that's what the model prayer is all about, the work in us. So when you pray, trust God's plan for the future. Trust that the kingdom will come just as he said it will. Trust that he is in control of of what is going to happen about the end. Trust that God's will for your everything is exactly what you need. 
This is hard, y'all. And we're talking about grand scheme things. But I, I didn't know where I was going to try to work this in today, but, but this is a good place. If you look in your bulletin, you don't have to actually turn there now, but if you look at your bulletin on, on the offering received versus what we need, we're $10,000 behind, and it's February. $10,000 behind. We're, 50, we're at about 52% of what we should be bringing in just to, just to meet our budget. That's that's bad. I mean, in case you were wondering, that's, that's real bad. It's hard for me to say, really, God, is this, is this your will? Because major changes have to happen in order for us to, as if things continue the way they are, us as a church bringing in not $158,000, which is our budget, but bringing in eighty thousand dollars. Major things will change. Is that God's will? All I can say that if that's the way it happens, then yes. It's at least enough of his will that he is allowing it to happen. Now, is it because he's allowing it, or it's his will and we're following it, or it's not his will, but he's allowing it because it's choices that we make? Well, I lean toward the latter and not the former. But we pray this prayer and we say, God, I trust that you have control of the situation. Whatever happens, I trust that your plan is better than mine. We trust God's full authority for our life. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As you have the authority in heaven, so take authority in my life on earth. I trust you with that. But as I said last week, and I'll say every week, our prayer is hollow when our heart is hollow. When Jesus has not taken residence in our life, we don't have a prayer. <laughs> Literally. We don't have anything to say to God, and God has nothing to say to us other than, you need my salvation. See, in praying this prayer, we need to trust God for our only salvation. Jesus. So we may, we, we may have other issues in life, and we do, right? But ultimately, my only issue is, is sin. Oh, I might need more money, or I, you know, might be in danger of losing my job, or, or whatever, but, but my ultimate problem is, is the sin problem that I have. Your ultimate problem is the sin problem you have. Now, thankfully, Jesus has taken care of my sin problem. I still sin, but the problem of sin is taken away. The curse of sin is gone. My slavery to sin is over. I am now a slave to Christ. I trust God for that. You can trust God for that too today. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
Every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us deserves the punishment of sin. And that punishment, Romans 6, 23, tells us the wages of sin is death. We deserve that. That's ours. There's no argument. There's no, no lawyer that can get us out of it. That is what we deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, we have a plan. We have an option. We have a way out. Romans 5, 8, For God proves His own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Long before I chose Him, God chose a way to save me. Long before I ever trusted Him, Jesus was battered and beaten and bloodied and bruised and killed and mocked and scourged for me. You know what? The person down the road who will never accept Christ will die and go to hell. Jesus died for him too. Jesus died for her too. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That free gift, though, I need to receive. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not for a few select people. I can look at this crowd this morning and every crowd every Sunday and look you in the eye and tell you with full authority from Scripture, Jesus died for you. Every one of you. The question is, will you call on Him? Will you trust Him? He's not going to force Himself on you. He's not going to make you take Him. Will you trust Him? And if you do trust Him, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Jesus is raised, was raised from the dead, you will be saved. It is that simple. It is that easy to trust God for your salvation. So this morning, maybe you want to do that. Maybe God is working on your heart. I pray that He is. Let's pray. Father, thank You that in all things we can trust You. God, that, that, that You sent Your Son. He modeled this prayer for us. We know that as we pray, we can trust You with all of it. Lord, I pray that we would trust You not just with the little things like sick relatives and friends, not just with the little things like our future and what we're going to be when we grow up, if we grow up, Lord, not with the little things like how in the world are we going to feed our kids next week. Not with the, the little things like how are we going to pay the rent or the mortgage. Not with the little things like what am I going to do with my wayward child. What am I going to do with uh, these family members that are, are, are well, just pains in my life. Not little things like that, but God with the big thing like my eternity. Like my sinfulness. God, we can trust you with that because you provided a way through Jesus. I pray this morning that we will trust you with D, all of the above. And God, there's someone here this morning who's never trusted you as Savior. They will do that today. That They have heard the gospel message and they will respond to it. Not out of obligation, you know, just one more thing I have to do in order to get saved, to go to heaven, but God, out of love response to what you did on the cross, Jesus. Lord, move in a mighty way this morning as we trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen.
So what's your decision this morning? How do you need to trust God? Do you need to trust Him with your salvation? Do you need to trust Him in obedience? Maybe you've accepted Him, but you've never been saved. Do you need to trust Him to, to lead a life of holiness, to, to be what you are called to be? Not afraid of the persecution, not afraid of what's outside, but only, God, I trust you, so I'm going to follow you no matter what. No matter who leaves, I leave behind. Does he want to use you? Do you need to join the church? What decision are you making? What area of your life this morning do you need to trust God more with? We're going to stand, we're going to sing, and you do business with God this morning.